All right. Hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan. That's me, Josh. Hello. How's it going, everyone? And Marcelo. Hey, everyone. And we are minus Austin today. He's got some stuff he's got to take care of, but uh, he's missing our illustrious topic today of budget reconciliation and human infrastructure. So if you haven't caught it on the news lately or if you've been confused by what's going on with the budgets and who's voting where and what and what negotiations have been made, we are here to kind of loop you in, give you the condensed version so it's a little bit more digestible. So let's go ahead and go back to your eighth grade civics or whenever you happen to take civics in high school, grade school. Let's go ahead and start with the concept of reconciliation. What is it? Why do we need it? So in Congress, reconciliation is a special process that essentially makes it easier for legislation to pass the Senate. And one of the big things with this, it's where we're trying to pull back what are we spending and get us out of the red. We don't want to spend too much. We also want to make sure that we have enough for everything that we're talking about. One of the key things here is that uh, reconciliation bills only require a bare majority. And Josh is going to talk to us a little bit about what that means and why that's important. So when we have that bare majority, that means they only need 50 votes of the of the majority party to get the bill passed because then the vice president can come in and act as a tie. This is in part of due to the philosophy behind the Reconciliation Act. As um, Ryan brought up, it's meant to help as like this money saving thing. And so the point of reconciliation bill is not that you, you don't get to spend any more money on your reconciliation bill. You have to spend less money or spend the same money. It's a reorganization bill. And for that, at levying no new taxes or no new income, you know, it's thought pretty simple. Okay, this is just shuffling around what the government's doing. This doesn't require a supermajority in, in the Senate to get it passed. So there's a couple different vote systems in the Senate because a lot of bills, you technically only need the simple majority to pass them anyways, because a lot of the time what gets you stuck on your supermajority is the ability to close debate um, and whether or not you have enough votes to end the period of time that people can go on speaking and filibustering the bill. And if that's not possible, you can basically just keep giving speeches. Um, You can read from books. Sometimes, depending on how the rules are set by the parliamentarian, like you can be forced to keep talking or there can't be any downtime. There's other ways to try to end a filibuster that uh, you play the game with the rules as much as that's a terrible way to think about what our government's doing. But yeah. If you've ever watched Parks and Rec when... uh... Yeah, (laughs) they are nitpicking these super particular rules uh, and like and the mechanics around the actual legislation. What this means is, you know, the Democrats can get it through, you know, without the obstruction. They can technically get it through, you know, if they voted completely on party lines. But Kristen Cinema's elected, you know, for now. So if you've paid attention in years past and we've we've heard about the government shutdowns very often, if not almost exclusively, it's because we can't get in a, a consensus on what the budget should be and reconcile it. So then they don't even need a filibuster at that point. They just they leave or they shut down or, you know, there's not that agreement. So this is a huge, huge thing that people try to get through. And because the unique situation this go around is you've got a 50 50 split in the Senate, which means the Democrats need every single one of their people to stay on task and vote uh, to pass this or else they're not going to get it. One of the big questions, we're going to pass this off to Marcelo in a second here, is what can they actually pass through? It's very, very common for congressional members to go ahead and package things. Sometimes to make it more palpable, it's kind of a compromise. More often than not, it's to be as confusing as possible so they can tack on their own little agendas from both parties. Uh, Marcelo, why don't you talk to us a little bit um, about about that, the partisan versus bipartisanship and, and where that's going to be going. I want to 
bring up uh, one of my favorite childhood board games, Monopoly, yeah. <laughs> uh, to exemplify how that sort of like the deal of the trading works. And in this case, it's pretty easy, right? You want people to vote on your bill, but obviously you need to suit in the deal. You need to make it worth it for them to vote on it. That can either be by adding something, like what Ryan mentioned, or by taking something away. In the case of uh, very specific things, if let's say I don't agree with a certain part of the funding of the infrastructure, I will not vote for a bill that has that. Or in the other case, if I want something and I won't vote without it, then it needs to be there or else you won't get my vote. This gives an extreme amount of power, I would say, especially when it only takes one vote. As Josh mentioned, you need all 50 Democrats to vote for the same bill. And if they don't get all 50 votes, then it's pretty much guaranteed that it's going to fail. So that's what's happening right now. And the reason why we're talking about it is because of one of the uh, dividing issues here in the infrastructure bill is the difference between the normal infrastructure, the everyday infrastructure that people know, roads and bridges and stuff like that, and compared to human infrastructure, which is more specific policies that tackle, well, humans, they tackle people. Uh, things like universal pre-K and extensions of the child tax credit, uh, free community college. There's a bunch of things here in this multi-trillion dollar package that sadly not all Democrats are in favor of. What tends to happen is typically whoever from a party is representing whatever bill they're trying to get through, they will they will pick the major point or the point that they think will appeal most to their base or most um, to the people that they're trying to get votes from within the center of the House, whoever's trying to be passed. And so the main talking points are all we know right now. There's if it's right now, it's estimated uh, from the Democratic Party to be three point five trillion. The experts uh, who have been evaluating this think it's going to be more like five to five and a half trillion. Typically, I'm going to go with what the government is not saying it's going to cost. It's, it tends to run over regardless of who's proposing it. So right now we have three main packages that are bundled together in what the Democratic Party is calling the budget reconciliation package, which I find a little bit funny because the reconciliation portion is only uh, a very small portion of that. So you've got the reconciliation where uh, I think it's three times a year Congress can meet and they can either increase or decrease spending trying to stay in the black. Um, or try to get more added to things that have already been proposed. You also have, like Marcelo and Josh mentioned, the infrastructure. And then the third bill that they've bundled together here is human infrastructure, which is going to be things like the community college as well as the uh, pre-K and also the tax breaks and the child credits, things like that. So they're bundling all of this together and voting at once. Number one, this tends to make it more efficient because they don't have to meet individually and vote individually, so it expedites the process. Number two, it gives them bargaining chips for both parties. Which portion do you guys want to talk? Do you want to go into some of the specifics first? Do we want to keep going over uh, where this is? What are what do you guys want to take this towards? I mean, I think we can start talking about like what human infrastructure is. Yep. I think all of us have pretty, you know, each have our own canned infrastructure, okay, about how 55% of the bridges in America have a C rating or whatever, whatever that memorized script is that you use. And in Minnesota, North to, Dakota, the roads are terrible because we don't actually get them reworked the way that they're supposed to, but yeah. there's perpetual construction for some reason. Okay. So what is human infrastructure and, and what's the what's the difference? So right now, human infrastructure and what Biden is calling for and asking, and he reached an agreement with the Senate Democrats, uh, who are the majority party right now, uh, it's going to include, like you mentioned, Marcel, the two-year community college, so that will be nationalized. We talked a few segments ago about the, the state level, uh, whether or not that was possible. We've seen examples like in Tennessee, uh, where the state has made it free through various means. You've also got the universal pre-K for three and four-year-olds. Uh, 
I don't I don't know specifics on that. All all I read was that headline. I kind of assumed that through public school that was taken care of. Does anybody have any specifics on that? Or Josh, you want to chime in? Universal pre-K has been a political issue in America for a while. It's something we've been pushing for. Research shows if the child is involved in a pre-K program, they do significantly better throughout the rest of their academic career. You can seriously chart, you know, being in pre-K and having a higher college GPA. Now, there's other social economic backgrounds behind that. And, you know, if you ask me, one of the most important things is is the ability to afford pre-K. And so, like, if you have the money to afford pre-K, that, like, already indicates you're going to be rocking it in other areas of life. Do you know what the current situation is? Because when they say they're adding universal pre-K, I'm assuming that there's not some. I was also under the impression that there was. Does it just start at the grades above that then right now through the tax dollars or or what's the current situation? Kindergarten is the first, is the start of the public school system. There's no taxpayer. um, Maybe some states have taxpayer pre-K. I could see a state doing that. I don't know. But it's not national. Yeah. And there's definitely no, not national. National in the same way our public, you know, kindergarten is national. Okay. And then um, one of the big ones in addition to that is also going to be uh, expanding Medicare so that like right now it, it just includes healthcare, which is not going to include dental, vision, yeah. and hearing. So they want to add more uh, towards that. So that that's kind of some of the highlights that they've talked about. I'm sure that if they actually gave us the full breakdown and we had the time to go through the, <laughs> I, I assume, thousands upon thousands of pages of documents, we'd see more specifics. But those are their big selling points. Um, for the human infrastructure. Now, I will make one note on the price of builds and the way the media talks about them because uh, I want to know who came up with this because they were ingenious. You know, we say $3.5 trillion, $5.5 trillion, $5 trillion, but that's how much the bill is going to cost over 10 years. And and, and so, yeah, if we're going to go back to eight grade civics, when I, when I first got into politics, that was one of the most confusing things I had to learn is why every time people talk about bills, it's always over 10 years, because it's even at that point hard to conceptualize how much money our government spends. Yeah. Like I think the current government budget, discretionary and non-discretionary covered, like eclipses some three and a half, four trillion dollars. Um, well, that's just a number that's really hard to wrap your head around too. Like that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but so that also puts into comparison, okay, so, you know, even if this was a spending bill and not a reconciliation bill, adding another $300 billion or $500 billion on top of your multi-trillion dollar budget is significant, but you're dealing with the world's largest, second largest, largest economy, depending on who and how you measure. So we are throwing around a pretty big, you know, heavyweight amount of money an economic force in the country um, with our government. I'll throw in a plus one for the, it makes no sense. I mean, it makes no sense to me because I don't study economics, but as someone who read the short version of the budget, which was only about 40 pages only, um, to see all of those numbers and to see how they measure it, they, they're basically, I know it's an etiquette, I guess, but it, it was interesting to see like, you know, oh, in 2029 is going to cost this much. And they revise it every year or every time they need to pass the budget again. So like, you know, it might, the, the number might not even be the same in a few months when they have to, they have to do it all over again. I, I always struggle to know whether or not our congressional members are deliberately vague or just not doing a great job of presenting stuff because there is a certain art, the political speak, the double talk, all of that to which they can get themselves out of trouble. They can talk about uh, things in a quote unquote truth that isn't necessarily true. They can be more deceptive and place things in a more favorable light to themselves. And that's just on the campaign trail. Now we talk about their bills. They do the 
exact same thing. So we, this is part of the reason that we're not going to know what's the true cost because they haven't even hammered out the specific uh, delegation of funds to each of the little projects here, right? Like we've, we've just, uh, it's, it's estimated between 550 billion and 600 billion or yeah, 600 billion is what they're adding, um, which I assume all, if not the vast majority of that is going to go towards the infrastructure and the human infrastructure bill, but they haven't given us the specific breakdowns on this is going towards childcare. This is going towards pre-K. This is going towards roads. This is going towards bridges. This amount is divided across all 50 states. Um, is it blanket? Is it based off of population? Like they don't include all of those details. Part of that I think is deliberate. Part of that they just haven't gotten around to. But in essence, it makes it very, very difficult for us to not only get an actual number nailed down for what's this going to cost, which is why you have between three and six trillion as your estimate here. And there's other things like cost is hard to measure because cost isn't an absolute or real material thing. So take the inclusion of dental into Medicare. That's going to cost a good chunk of bit more money right up front. That will save Medicare money over the long term, because the number one side effect of gum disease is heart disease, which is like this in the top five killers in America and causes chronic conditions that require medicate, you know, medication and you know medical intervention throughout the rest of the patient's life. People don't go to the dentist because you know they can't afford it, and so like we'll save, like we'll we spend that money, but then the emergency room for our, you know bill for a heart attack or someone's you know cardiac you know care unit stay will never get sent to Medicare in 15 or 20 years because the patient had access to preventative medical care. And infrastructure is a lot like that too. When we repave our roads and get rid of those you know, potholes, cracks, and we make the roads better designed, we redo the strips and put better reflectors on there, and we have less accidents, we don't have to send out the fire trucks. We don't have to send out the ambulance. We don't have to use that police time. We don't have to use the ambulance. You know, we don't have to use the hospital's time. And we have like significant economic you know, savings then from improving our infrastructure. You know, and the most hard thing, you know, always to metaphor or, you know, always to measure and what the Democrats really um, bank on is like, you know, if you spend money, it, you know, stimulates the economy and causes growth. But that's not the only way that spending money saves you money. Like, patching, getting a bit of your uh, roof, you know, tarred over so it doesn't leak before your ceiling collapses and saves you money in a very abstract way. And so I think that's an important part of like some of these bills, as much as like, you know, pre-K and community college is an investment we hope to get returns on, some of it legitimately is just, you know, preventative patching to prevent, you know, damage down the line, whether that's in humans, whether that's in roads or our dams, um, like 50 million to fix a dam is going to be a lot cheaper than the cleanup for if the dam breaks. I agree. I think um, you took it right out of my mind because while you were talking about human infrastructure, I was also thinking about how this, this applies to most things when you put an actual investment that is going to last you a long term. You could have better roads, better bridges, and Ryan would get less mad at North Dakota's. Uh, <laughs> of, uh, My car will get less mad. <laughs> One of the other things that, that makes this um, really difficult to nail down what's it going to cost and can we cover it as the really big question here is the way 
way in which they propose through the budget to take care of it. So, for example, uh, the GOP uh, has been shot down, but what they had suggested was add fees on the services and we can recover some of the money. What Biden has proposed and what I think a lot of the Senate Democrats are leaning towards is various forms of taxes, like severe tax hikes on the corporation. Um, You've got the taxes on your passive incomes, so it would be a tax on uh, things like properties. Uh, It would be things such as like your asset tax, uh, because that's your capital gains. That's the word I'm looking for. Capital gains tax, you can raise that a lot. Uh, I think what we're going to do in not necessarily the immediate episodes following this, but in the future, we will probably come forward with a debate on should we raise or should we not raise the capital gains tax? Should we raise or not raise the taxes on the corporations? Should we be having universal pre-K? Like, are these things to be funny? So we'll get into those in detail later. Today is going to be our day to really just break down uh, your knowledge on what, or hopefully adding to your knowledge, breaking down the topic of what is going on. My favorite part of this deal that's been uh, shot down and part of when it comes to funding is so this the I forget whether it was the Senate or the House Democrats that came up with this plan. Basically, uh, give the IRS uh, a good bit of chunk of more money to hire a lot more agents and to really step up IRS enforcement because several hundred billion dollars escape the IRS and the federal coffers every year because our tax law isn't uh, ubiquitously enforced. The Republicans said no. <laughs> It's, it's not even that they, they won't let or the Democrats raise the taxes. They won't let the Democrats enforce the taxes. Come on. Um, and, and I think when we talk about taxes and how do we pay for things, like a lot of like loophole closing and silliness. Here's a good study in the market. So the first like 15 years Amazon was uh, in business, it never turned a profit. But lowly upstart Jeff Bezos was able to keep it going. Well, well, now that Amazon's like one of the most profit-making companies in the world, they don't pay any taxes now because they're writing off their debt, their losses from when they had were earlier in the company. Now, have you ever noticed how Uber's stock keep going keeps going up? And you ever know ever noticed how Uber has never posted a profit every quarter and their stock always keeps going up in prices, but they keep recording these losses because whenever comes up with their like automatic self-driving overlord AI that Uber is actually making, and that's the real product behind that company, then they're going to make a ton of money and they're going to write off all of the losses they have endured so far that they've been covering with venture capital investment to not pay taxes, to then pay back their venture capitalist buddies than on tax-free profits because they're writing off their supposed losses from before. Closing off our loopholes and stepping up our tax enforcement, I, I think would you know generate us a lot of money to pay for things as well. I think the estimated uh, pickup from like a twenty billion dollar increase to the IRS budget was going to be like one hundred and fifty billion dollars of return. But yeah, that got like shut good, down. Sounds like a good topic of discussion. It's like, yeah, just title it. How do we pay for this? <laughs> With like a bunch of like different options, because I honestly don't really have a problem with uh, raising taxes on people who earn a lot of money. And um, I would much rather see that than see utility costs raise, as some companies have suggested. But I would be happy to listen to other alternatives because, you know, God knows there's a lot of ways to pay for stuff. We just need to find if we agree that we need the things, then we just need to figure out where to, where to get the money. And one of the very difficult things to make this concise and clear just for our podcast is there's so many layers, right? Because we can have a whole discussion over what are they proposing? What is the actual ability that they have to enforce this or to bring in the money that they need to fund it? Uh, what is the moral implication or like the, the theoretical implication? Like, should this be happening in the 
first place. So there's many, many layers that can be unpacked. We three know this, having been individuals who had to propose on the debate circuit different courses of action to gain taxes. One of the biggest shortcomings um, for the federal government in their ability to execute this is they don't have the ability to enforce very often, right? So especially with the IRS, they can bring money in, they can collect tax money, you can enforce that. What they have a very difficult time doing as they delegate out to the states or even implementing things on a federal level is effectively executing these things and making sure that the money goes where it's supposed to, gets used the way it's supposed to, and that it's not just sitting there. Because uh, a lot of times plans have a huge hole in them because they collect money, but then their triggering agent doesn't function. They don't have the funds to do so. Like something is missing in which, you know, I'm just going to oppose this, not because I think it's a bad thing, but because the government on a federal level is so inefficient, I don't want to see it, you know, just get accumulated because then it becomes worse. So there's so many layers here that we can unpack in the future. I'm interested to see and excited to see where those debates go. I think government interests or government efficiency is an interesting thing because there's no control. Is our government inefficient? Who knows? It might be the most efficient of every government in the world. Um, that kind of ties into all of the you know layers and ambiguities of our government. Of you know, why is the IRS not collecting these hundreds of billions of dollars? You know, is it because IRS agents are playing on their phones all day? Is it because that the lawyers these firms have hired are smarter than them? Is it because there's just more lawyers than IRS agents, and just reading all of the paperwork they send just overwhelms them? That's what I would imagine. Is that probably more? If anything, just case you know overload like how do you stifle through there's also some very particular um like resource allocation i think in particular virus like if you make under fifty thousand dollars a year the irs should never audit you it's not like, worth okay. their time it's not worth yeah yeah, yeah like okay oh they got away with like two hundred dollars like five hundred dollars of tax fraud whatever um <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, but like, who cares? <laughs> you know, that's like you see someone pick up the candy bar at Walmart and the, and the clerk's just like, yeah, whatever. Like, that's just not worth it. Especially when we have, you know, very wealthy, we, you know, with offshore accounts, which represent a whole nother financial <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> that's all another debate. Country laws. Um, as someone who whose total income earned in the 2017-2018 academic year was about $2,500, I would say I agree. I still had to file my taxes. Wait, did you? No. <laughs> I mean, I, I saw the thing in the mail and I got scared, so I had to send something. Oh yeah. <laughs> if you don't make like, if you don't make, if you make under ten thousand dollars, you don't really, you don't have to file your taxes. I mean, if you have a withholding at your job, yeah. you'll want to to get your money, but they don't tax that money. And earnestly, if you make like twenty thousand dollars and you have a withholding of any type, it's going to cover it. And so again, you could probably get away with not filing your taxes, but you know, you, you lose money then when return. you're as poor as yeah. we are. <laughs> like because I get, I get withheld at the state level and the federal level, being employed through the university and. So it's it's way over what I'm uh, supposed to be paying for the tax bracket that I'm in. I don't know. I, I just hate the concept that, you know, the IRS isn't going to tell you exactly what you're like. Oh, nope, you got to figure it out. And if you get it wrong, then we're going to send people after you. <laughs> it's not my favorite time of year, to say the least. <laughs> that might be the one thing that unites all of us is I have I don't think I'll ever hear someone say like, oh, I can't wait to file my taxes. <laughs> I, I'm so happy I have to do it. 
why don't we talk about the problems within the party? Because what's happening right now is you're seeing a fraction between different portions of the Democratic Party. You're seeing tension between Biden and the Democratic senators. You're seeing tension between the Democratic senators and the Democratic House, uh, particularly between Chuck Schumer, who's the majority leader in the Senate, and then Nancy Pelosi, who's the Speaker of the House. Uh, and so this happens a lot. But what's happening right now is they're holding for ransom effectively or holding hostage different positions unless they get what they want. For example, Nancy Pelosi told Chuck Schumer that unless they get the infrastructure bill, they're not going to vote on the uh, budget reconciliation. Biden told the Senate Democrats that unless the human infrastructure bill accompanies the budget reconciliation and the infrastructure bill, he's not going to sign them. So there's a lot of tension that's happening. And I think the concern for the Democratic Party that they should have right now is they're going to lose the support that they need for the reconciliation. And I know that that's already a concern um, because there's certain Democratic senators who probably won't vote for it. But let's assume that they all did. I think that there's a, a very real tension between uh, the different senators and representatives and even between the president and them because they've got Biden went in with tails. He got the Senate and he got the House. They're all Democrat. In theory, they should be able to do this. The tensions and the holding hostage, I think, is really going to shoot themselves in the foot here. But what do you guys think on this issue? I'm, I'm glad that you say in theory because of course if democrats agreed on everything like usually republicans do um then things would be much easier for them but obviously that is not the case i, I believe the democratic party is pretty fractured i mean it always was but right now you have like the progressive aisle and the more um conservative not progressive uh wing of of the democrat party uh, which is also not only uh, the one that controls most positions of power, but also the one who seems to almost always get what they want. Because in the case of, and this is a throwback to earlier in the conversation, when we talk about, you know, oh yes, you know, we need all 50 votes to pass this bill. If one of these Democrats is like, mm, I don't really think I should vote for this, then you're at 49 and then you lose. So you're only as strong as your weakest link. In this case, you're only as Democrat as your least Democrat Democrat. And so you have to concede at, at some points. And I don't think it's good. It's the way the game is played. And I think, I don't know, I just, I'll echo what Josh said. I wish Kristen Sinema would just vote like she's supposed to. Well, not, not like she's supposed to, right? But like, just vote for the bills that are proposed because they're good. I believe they're good. And holding the entire party hostage is because you're not getting what you want. Uh, it's not really, uh, I don't, I don't think should be the case. And I'm sure all Republicans are very happy about it because they don't, we don't, we're not talking about 50 people opposing the bill. We just have to talk about one person opposing the bill or two people opposing the bill, which are happen to be in your party. So I think she's doing the GOP a big, big favor. Yeah, I would say the primary pressure the Democrats are facing right now is to get something done. Handling the pandemic is not enough to not get obliterated in the midterms. So they want to be able to go to their districts and say, here's what they got. And I think that's why the House is so bent on the infrastructure package, because if you want to talk about impactful legislation for a, an election, like, you know, being able to show here's what we're doing in the, these counties because of, you know, what, you know, me, my party was able to negotiate for you in the House. And the Senate's always more conservative than the House. Um, the, the Senate, you could somewhat say the Senate is just more moderate in the House, that there's no really extremely, extremely conservative people like there are in the House. Like, sure, there's a Ted Cruz and Rand Paul in there, but that's the worst. Um, there's no Taylor Greens or anyone else, you know, running around in the Senate. Um, there's no AOCs on the Senate. 
that definitely steps in the problem. I think Kristen Cinema is playing a very weird game. I was going to save this for the hot takes, but here it is now. Krista Cinema is going to get primaried, and then she's going to run in the next election as a registered Republican. And she was only going to be Democrat. And, and that is going to be her entire plan. Her, her little scheming political narrative thing is going to be the Democrat who is too conservative is now being the moderate Republican in Arizona. I feel it in my bones, that political amalgamation. Because she's not like, like you, you can kind of get behind Joe Manchin. You know, Joe Manchin's like, do you know what state I'm from? Do you know who lives here? Hello, I'm trying to keep my job. And Krista Simmons like, you know, I'm in Arizona and every year it gets better for Democrats. I mean... (laughs) And so that's why I think she's badly misreading it is because try to be Kristen Cinema, you know, running in your primary and your opponent goes and turns to the audience and says, hey, are any of you all making less than $15 an hour? That's her fault. And what do you do in the Democratic primary? So, uh, I mean, I, I think she's setting herself up um, pretty badly for the future, for a long-term future in the political party. Um, thus, my theory is she is you know, not planning on staying in it. The Democrats need... Like they, they, they need a better party whip. Like Biden's like trying to, you know, use the authority of coming out on the coattails and the promise and trying to like get stuff done. And I think Biden will uh, win this out. I would be really surprised if cinema drops it down. If anything, she's really enjoying her position and ability to act as a moderate with the excuse of being from Arizona because it makes her this like very critical person of appeasement. Like you have to do whatever she wants. You want to talk about the little extra things that are in those bills? Go through those bills and look out for all of the special carve-outs for Arizona. I guarantee you there's three or four of them um, that just explicitly and only benefit Arizona. And so somewhat that's the power of being a senator who's willing to, you know, ruin the entire country for your own state. And maybe Maybe that's a bit respectable. You're the senator of Arizona. I I mean, I don't know. I think on that note, there's an important nuance that can at least be acknowledged whether we agree or disagree with it. And that would be that uh, because this packaged bill is so big, they could have any reason to vote for or against it, right? Like I might be a senator who votes against this because I'm opposed to all of the money that's being thrown at X program, but it's packaged together. It's an all or nothing sandwich. I either vote for it or I don't. And like you mentioned, Josh, it really opens people up to being raked across the coals if they get primaried or if they go into, you know, if if they are the primary who's selected and they go further on, like your political opponent across the aisle can point out specific things. But they might have a very real reason uh, to not vote. And there's no nuance that takes place when we package something this big. And I I think that that that's one of my big takeaways for this, I'd say, is I don't like the all or nothing sandwich. I don't like the fact that we, we hold people hostage for reconciliation until we can figure out the nuance of X, Y, and Z things in the human infrastructure bill. I'll change topics slightly and you guys can respond to that if you want to. I mean, I'm sure there's a very big laundry list of things that are wrong with the bill or could be changed with the bill. Uh, But I am wondering what would happen to the bill if you did give the pen to the people who want to change it. I would rather keep fighting for a bill that might still pass and I'm hopeful that will pass than have a butchered version of the package that is going to appease to everyone, but is not going to. Like if you, this is this is a hypothetical, right? But like if your problem with the bill is that it gives free community college and the only way to get your vote is by getting out the free community college, sure, we got your vote. We also lost free community college. So it's it's not like, is it a win? You, okay, sure, we, we, we made an agreement, but um, 
some people, many people wanted this particular piece of policy. And because one person doesn't, then our compromise is that we don't have it. It sounds like, in my mind, it just seems a little extreme. It's like, yes, for in the sake of compromise, we'll just take away all of this. It doesn't, doesn't sound like a good deal to me. I agree. I mean, that's that's your alternative, right? In order for me to make this more palatable to individuals on the like, for instance, the Democratic Party, if they want it to be more palatable to the individuals who are likely to not vote for this, they need to include things or remove things that that person would that they would be swayed by because they need that vote. My my big thing is I think that these should be addressed individually, right? Like I think we should have the uh, infrastructure bill, the human infrastructure bill, and the reconciliation budget all separate, and, and that's really just because I don't think that the human infrastructure and the infrastructure are at their very core reconciliation budget worthy. Like I, I'm seeing a lot more at it. Technically, they can call it that, right? Because they're like, well, we've got community college that exists. We allocate certain amounts of our budget to education. Therefore, making community college free is budget reconciliation. When in reality, we can't get senators on board to vote for it. Therefore, we're going to push it through by simple majority. To me, I think that's why this should be split up. I, I completely agree with you, Marcel, that, that it has to be done this way because we make no progress. We would not have a bill. And, and again, I'm speaking from an ideal standpoint, but I agree with you there, Marcelo, that you know, 100% has to include things that some people want and some don't just because there's so many people to appease. I always question the elements of the Democratic Party that are so on for compromise. Like it, like it, in somewhat, it basically feels like unless a Republican wrote it, Joe Manchin's not really going to vote for it. Um, or if the Republicans aren't voting for it, then Joe Manchin's go, going to join them. Um, he seems to have like, if no Republicans are with the Democrats, then I'm not with the Democrats type of mindset. If you try to pass a bill that tries to get the government to address some problem, it's always these same complaints of do nothing, do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. And I'm sorry, if our government isn't doing anything, then it doesn't deserve to exist. And I get that's their point. That's what they're trying to do. But we live in a world and we want these advancements and developments. And there are going to be, and there are countries passing up the United States because their government's taking, you know, decisive and advanced advancement actions that our government is stalled out to do. We've talked about whether or not they should, and we've talked about the plausibility. Let's talk off the stats. Do we think this will get passed in the Senate or not? But let's do our sports prediction based off of what we know and where things are headed. Do we think that they're going to get these three, this, this budget package passed in the Senate in the near future? Uh, here's my wild prediction. I think they will go into recess before they pass it. They'll pass it the next session, but I don't think they can get it through before they go into recess. Uh, I think they get through. Yeah, I'm not sure about the timing. Um, I really do think Mansion will be fine, and I think Mansion will vote for. It. I, I I think Mansion's going to be less of a swing vote than Cinema is here because Mansion has Republicans negotiating on the deal, and so he's fine. Um, and I, I I'm dead serious on that one. As long as there's a single Republican negotiating in the negotiating room, Mansion will vote for the bill. It's incredible. Cinema is more likely to do something for the sake of political reputation, and I I, I think her read on the room and Arizona is just wrong. And and so I think if she does oppose it, she definitely 100% gets primaried and loses, which is why I'm tempted to think she knows that at some level. And so it will eventually go through because once Joe Manchin is on board, does she want to become the sole and singular reason that nothing gets done in the House or the Senate during Biden's administration? 
I, I don't know. I, I think that just becomes an awful, bloody primary for her. For some and, people, that's a badge of honor. For well, some yeah, people, that would be. I, 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 I just don't think that's a good keeping her current job decision. Um, she might still have. She'll definitely have a political future afterwards. But I think she would like is basically resigning if she doesn't get on board with this. So my prediction is I don't think they're going to get this one through. I think that you might have some variation down the road that gets through because they have to reconcile the budget. Like that is part of their job. It has to happen or Congress shuts down. So I think that they will get at least one Democrat, probably not more than one. But I think that I think between Manchin and Cinema, I think the Republicans can get one on board to boycott. And if that doesn't happen, the other reason I'm going with I don't think is going to happen is because all three of these are tied together. You're either going to have Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will either do it herself or get other people on board to where they won't meet. And there's three bills at play here. And I think that they're going to use that to hold it hostage. And I think that Joe Biden will, as as much as he said and tried to walk back the statement that it's an all or nothing, I think he means that 100%. I think he's just covering himself so that negotiations continue. I, I truly believe he will not sign the bill. And I, I think we'll see something go through executive order if he can't. So that that's kind of where I'm thinking this will go. So why don't we go ahead and we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with our hot takes. Those buttons are right next to each other. Uh, we'll be right back. My hot take. Um, this isn't a lot of money and isn't a big spending bill. We are talking about less than half of the money our military uses every year. From a, a broader philosophical point of view, I'm really tired of countries killing each other and always find it incredible we get all this red-faced and emotional and concerned about how much money we're spending when we talk about medicine, food, roads, and schools, but no one will complain about a military budget, which will probably breach a trillion dollars a year in the next five to 10 years. We'll be spending a trillion dollars a year to kill people and be getting upset at spending $300 billion a year to help people. I think that's the clearest sign that America is just philosophically and morally broken. Um, people can praise Satan all they want. As long as that's true, we'll never be good people. And I think that is a kind of long-term reckoning and why we see this word like human infrastructure to get us to think about what our governments are supposed to do, what we want them to do. And to you know, keep working and tinkering on things. I, I think one of the critical problems of our world is everyone thinks we've hit like a philosophical stopping point. Everyone thinks we learned up until 1950 and that was good enough. All other philosophy beyond that is just for people getting extent, you know, extensive degrees in the university. And we seem to be, you know, Gustav in that like like philosophy and have a lot of a lot of people who are just very against the idea of human progress and they don't imagine the world being any different in a thousand years than it is today and and I, I think that's some of the most you know toxic elements in the fact that we have political systems and parties that cater to that is extremely detrimental because we have now political party that is uh, the political parties that basically have the ideology and quite literally have the ideology of cut down all of the trees in the world because 
because we don't want the youth to enjoy them. There's that old parable that society grows great when you know people plant trees of whom shade they will never enjoy. But we now have political factions of being like, let's go fell the trees just so the kids can enjoy. And, and I just think that's, you know, just, uh, you know, it's part of the problem like several world governments face in ours, but just there's just seems to be a very anti-progress, anti-humanist political sentiment that is kind of like a rot we can't get rid of. I don't know, call it capitalism or something. All right, my hot takes. Uh, number one, I'm opposed to cramming this down as a single package. Not because I'm opposed to what is necessary in politics to make it palatable to specific individuals or to get the compromise or to get what we need through, but because I believe by its very definition that the infrastructure and human infrastructure are not a part of the reconciliation process, therefore they should not be included in the bill. Those should be completely separated, um, and I think that you're really stressed stretching out some definitions. I mean, the whole idea of human infrastructure is that we are infrastructure, which doesn't meet the original definition. And and we'll get into that more later. But I just don't think that this is something that fits by the definition. And so it shouldn't be included. I think that it should be completely separate. Uh, I'm opposed to and very concerned with the ways in which they're proposing that we're going to cover the spending. You know, it's 500 billion to 600 billion. Uh, up to a couple of trillion, depending on which portion of the bills actually go through. I think that you're going to reach one of two issues. Uh, Number one, it's not going to be sustainable. Or number two, they're just going to run us more into the red. I I just don't see it actually happening. Um, Even if they pass the bills, I'm not seeing this actually going through. Um, I'll talk more about this when we get to like capital gains taxes and things like that. But people leave. When they're taxed, um, you either crush the productivity and therefore you don't get the amount that you need in taxes to cover it, or people leave and you get none of it. So we're not seeing historically that raising tax rates on corporations is going to increase production or get us the tax revenues that we need. Uh, And then the last issue that I have with this and why I'm opposed to it is because they're not going to be able and they have historically not uh, been able to address the issues that are raised with the taxes they do collect. And it's not that I'm opposed per se to some of the things that are included in this bill like childcare. Um, like the pre-K or like the free college. I have specific issues with each one of those, but for this particular one, it's the way that it's addressed. I don't think that they actually get the taxes to the funding in an efficient system, or they choose to fund inefficient systems with the taxes they do collect, uh, like like the affordable care. So that's my hot take. As the final piece in this puzzle, my hot take is that they should just pass it. I like that it's a big package. I like that it's everything in together because if it's taken this long to, to agree on one bill, God knows three bills or more, like how long that would take. Of course, it's not a hot take that I think they should pass it. But I think it, the, the, the true spiciness of the take is that I like that they package everything together because they knew, I think a part of, of them knew that it would take a very long time to agree on something. And if they need to get something done, they do need to get something done to say that they did anything this year. Uh, if they can only get one thing through, then they need to make sure it's as comprehensive and as big as this thing is. So again, pick your pick your fight, pick your poison. Uh, either you try to battle it out from like many different things and some of them will slip out or you try to ram it, uh, ram a, a package as big as you possibly can and hope that it passes through. Um, and Honestly, I don't disagree with the approach. I think it's a, I think it's a one that gives them the highest chance of success. But obviously, uh, that's that's that to see. There's still a lot of time left on the clock. 
All right, well, those are our hot takes, and I think we've set ourselves up nicely for some good clash coming up with these specific debates. I'm excited for those. So I'm sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Goodbye for now.